Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Let me first of all say how great it is to be back with all of you here today. I love doing this show. I miss it when I'm gone. Hope you enjoyed last week's sort of series of pre-recorded shows. Uh, we had a great time doing that and so excited to be back to kind of our live normal format doing this for you here today. Uh, really glad to be able to do that. I just had a really restful, inner reinvigorating vacation. Just really feel great sitting back in this chair here today. And obviously one of the things you do when the vacation's over with is you kind of try to catch up on what's kind of been going on, some of the stuff you might miss. And as I was kind of scrolling through DogNation.com a little bit yesterday, some today, kind of just sort of planning the show and kind of putting it together, there was one thing that kind of caused me to laugh out loud. And <laughs> I think the reason why I think this is so funny is because Georgia has obviously accomplished so much in its last two seasons. It's won 29 of its last 30 games. It is obviously the back-to-back national champions, or as we sit around here, go for two in 22. That is what Georgia has been able to do. You would almost think that there is no world left for Georgia to conquer when it comes to the college football landscape. There's nothing left for Georgia to do that it has not yet been able to do, that it's essentially done it all. And yet what you are left to conclude here is, over the course of the last couple of off-seasons, that the one thing that Georgia is still seemingly unable to do is get any preseason credit whatsoever. That Georgia has somehow managed to win national championships and made that somewhat look easy because last year, since Georgia marched, uh, you know, almost unencumbered to a second straight national championship, that Georgia somehow has made winning a national championship at the end of the season look easy, but actually being picked by a lot of the sort of pundits, talking heads, you know, commentariat of college football, actually being picked to do so at the beginning of the season, Georgia has made that look really, really hard. We're now going on three straight off seasons where that has definitely been true, despite the fact that Georgia clearly has been a national championship level program. The proof is in the pudding on that, the fact that it's won the last two. But in 2021, there were scarce people picking Georgia win the national championship. Last year, once again, any thought of Georgia winning the national championship, everyone was enamored with Alabama. Everyone was enamored on a number of Ohio State. You think the media would have some degree of uh, shame about the fact they got it so wrong in 2022 that'd be out here in full effect in 2023, finally giving Georgia the credit that it was due. In fact, we even talked about that some on a show not even a few days ago it doesn't seem like we've already talked about you think that the media would now be ready to step up and give georgia the credit that it deserves but no in this offseason already we've heard reese davis the host of espn's college game day saying right now it's preseason number one team would be michigan we heard urban meyer the fox sports analyst and former coach and soon to be subject of what probably is going to be a pretty disturbing documentary on Netflix. Uh, But nonetheless, we heard Urban Meyer uh, talking about the fact that he thinks that Texas is the most talented team in college football. So here we are, you know, going on two straight years of Georgia winning the national championship. And yet the one thing that Kirby Smart is seemingly incapable of doing is getting any kind of preseason credit whatsoever. Nobody ever picks Georgia to win the national championship. Hardly ever, despite the fact that's all Georgia seems to do these days. And the latest example of this, and many of you probably know what I'm about to share with you, the latest example of this comes with Kirk Herbstreit. It was a part of some event that On3 had going on, On3's website that covers college football, and he sat down with one of their video hosts, and the subject of Georgia came up. And this is Kirk Herbstreit talking with the uh, guy from On3 here, and you'll kind of listen Listen to this about the idea that once again, Georgia is just 
decimated by departures. But then Herb Street takes this comment to sort of weird place of Kirby Smart will somehow spin this as nobody believes in you. Now, listen to the way in which Kirk Herb Street sort of tries to play both sides of the same issue. I find this funny. I hope you laugh at it as well. If you didn't laugh, then obviously, you know, you might be forgiven having a little bit more of a negative reaction to it. But for us, it's mostly funny. This is Kirk Herb Street talking about Georgia with the guy from On3 the other day. Take, take a listen to this. Well, they've lost so much. The culmination of the last two years um, is just a reality when you win that many championships back-to-back, which we haven't seen in so long. And it's not just a class from two years ago when the Kobe Dean and that group, when all those guys from the defense were first round, I think five in the first round that year. But I think then the guys that, that a lot of those guys that stepped in last year and they had a chip on their shoulder and they were anxious to prove to people that we can still play defense even though we lost those guys. Now some of those guys go as well. So you're really looking at a, a new wave. Stetson Bennett's no longer there. Um, some new skill. Now what I love is, to Kirby's credit, what he learned from Nick Saban is avoiding complacency, mm. finding a way to get a team tweaked, kind of like upset. People don't believe in you. People mm-hmm. don't, Like this year, he, I mean, he was talking about, we try to tell you guys, everybody doubted us. I'm like, what were you, preseason three, right. two? I mean, no one doubted you. But he, to his credit, he found a way to get 18 to 22-year-old kids to buy into. They doubt you. They don't believe in you. You're the defending champ. You know, everyone believed in him. So I mostly like Kirk Herbstreit. I really do. Kirk Herbstreit's been the most, uh, I guess, prominent voice around college football in my time kind of growing up as a football fan. So hard not to like Herbstreit, but I'm sorry. This particular statement from Herbstreit is just cringe. It's one of the cringiest things that I've heard because Herbstreit pretty clearly tries to play it on both sides of the issue. On the one hand, he's talking about well, gosh, Georgia has just lost so much, as if people didn't say the same thing a year ago. This is exactly what people were saying a year ago. Georgia lost 15 players. How in the world can they even come back and possibly win the national championship? And here we are a year later, Herb Street's trying to play the same card again as it relates to Georgia. I don't think it's biased. I don't think he has anything against Georgia. I think it's dumb. I just think it's a, like I don't think you have to be biased to be dumb in this particular case. This is just a dumb thing to say. The idea that Georgia uh has somehow once again sort of having to face the how do you com- put a competitive team on the field given everything you've lost when that argument proved to be incorrect last year you think that you'd at least have enough dignity not to come out and try to make the same argument again this year but in this particular case clearly Kirk Herbstreet doesn't and then on the flip side of that Herbstreet tries to play the card of <laughs> Kirby uh, Smart learned this from Nick Saban by the way here's the other thing it is that Kirk uh, that Kirby Smart wasn't smart enough to think of this on his own he had to learn this from Nick Saban the idea that he's going to play the card of nobody believes in you nobody gives you a, uh, a chance and Herb Street says well you guys were preseason number three a year ago uh, you can't say that nobody believes in you for a team that had been number one downgrading them to number three is an example of no one believing in you you know, when you were when you were number one to end the season, the idea that now you have to drop two spots to be number three, that is an example of doubting a team that's achieved what Georgia uh, achieved. This isn't Ohio State that's just sort of happy to be there. This is Georgia that expects to win the national championship. And making them preseason number three at a place like Georgia right now in this current era of football, that is an insult. It is. And Georgia took it as an insult a year ago, and that's why they, you know, plowed through the rest of college football. 
but that's what you know herb street kind of wants to play it on both sides of of the oh you know it's a ridiculous thing that nobody believed in georgia your preseason number three but not picking Georgia to win the national championship when that's what Georgia did, that is a slap in the face. And when they've done it two years in a row and you come out and do the same thing again of, oh, well, gosh, nobody believes, uh, you, know, you, you, you know, Georgia has lost so much. How in the world do they replace all of this? That is also an insult. But Kirk Herbstreit wasn't done. Once again, more of him on this topic from on three. Take a listen. And he'll find another way this year to get his team mad at the world. So, Give them a lot of credit for coming up with a way to manipulate kind of the back-to-back defending champs. You don't have the guts to go three in a row or whatever it's going to be. But uh, he'll have a team, as always, the way they recruit. But will it come together, you know, to make a run to get all the way to the end? The chemistry's got to come together, which they've had for two straight years. And also, can can Beck be that guy? We we know about his talent, Mm -hmm. but now that it's his turn – they lose a great leader, one of the best we've seen in, in, in Stetson Bennett. So I want to see what Carson Beck can do. So now just keep this in mind. Now this is bigger than just Kirk Herbstreit, but just keep this in mind. How long did Georgia fans have to live in 2021 with so many prominent voices in media telling Georgia fans their team could not win a national championship because of Stetson Bennett? How much of that was there? There was a lot, whether Herbstreit said it or not, I honestly don't remember, but there was certainly a lot. For the entirety of the 2021 season, even though Georgia kept winning and kept winning and kept winning, there were so many people out there who were telling Georgia fans, you can't win a championship because of Stetson Bennett. And they were just ready to pounce and say, see, I told you so, once Georgia was eliminated from national championship competition, or or contention, I should say. Well, now we've gone from prominent national media voices saying, you can't win a national championship because of Stetson Bennett, to now saying you can't win a national championship without Stetson Bennett. That's how things have changed. And yet somehow, someway, Kirby Smart, who all he does win games, still can't quite seem to get the kind of preseason credit that a two-time national champion you think would possibly deserve. Now, Herbstreit's not wrong to say that Carson Beck's got a lot to prove here this year. That's absolutely true. And sort of living into the standard set by Stetson Bennett over the course of the last couple of years, that is not an easy thing to do. It is not. That, that, that is a big challenge for Beck. We think that Beck's probably ready for that, as ready as he possibly can be. And we'll find out over the course of several months and 15 games just how good Carson really is. So Herbstreit's not wrong for saying Beck's got a lot to prove as the George quarterback. But what Herbstreit is absolutely wrong is, is to somehow laugh at the notion that that Kirby Smart's going to make up something to uh, have to motivate George. And obviously, Nolan Smith did joke about the idea of kind of making up something to sort of motivate the dogs. When Kirk Herbstreit looks at the current Georgia players and says, you're not good enough, the guys were here before you, they were better than you, now they're gone, I don't know if this team can come together. The current Georgia players, the guys who are going to be starting on this team this year, of course, they are going to take that as an insult. And of course, they're going to go out there and play with the same edge this year they played with a year ago because guys like Kirk Herbstreit can't stop thinking about what George has lost over the course of the last couple of years as if this next generation of Georgia players, by the way, some of those are guys that actually won last year's national championship, but don't let facts get in the way of the discussion. The point is, of course, they take that as an insult. And of course, they're going to have an edge about them. And of course, it's ridiculous that now going on three straight years of off seasons or preseasons leading into Georgia national championship seasons, that once again, you got Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreit, guys like that, as prominent a voice as exists in the sport, kind of talking about anybody but Georgia winning this year's national championship. Because by the way, the most ridiculous thing that Herb Street said the other day when he was talking to the on three guy, uh, I'm about to play for you here right now because 
once again, it sort of feels like Herb Street's commentary is kind of from a different year. If I played this clip for you, the one I'm about to play, you would probably think, well, gosh, was this said two years ago? Was this said last year? It does not feel like it should come from 2023, but I promise we have the timestamp. That is when it came from. This came from just however many days ago, but it sounds like it could have been from two years ago because this is how sort of lost and stuck in a previous era Herb Street currently seems to be. I don't dislike Herb Street, but I think this commentary is beyond ridiculous here is Kirk Herbstreit who kind of looks at Georgia and says I'm not quite so sure this team can do it despite the fact they've won the last two but he still seemingly is enamored with what Nick Saban is doing at Alabama as if this was still 2020 this is Kirk Herbstreit again whenever what you just described whenever that happens in Tuscaloosa if you're going to Vegas is saying that would be a team I would not want to question whenever they have a few losses or whenever they don't quite chase their goals the previous year and whenever oh they got a new this and a new that and a new quarter it's like oh boy Nick Saban's in trouble I'm telling you I don't he's he's got the same energy he's had since 2009 when he won his first title against Texas he's got great players like he had in 09 maybe better he's got a team that's going to be upset with a chip on their shoulder as we sit here, what what are we, May 31? It's hard for me not to lean towards Alabama in the SEC just because of what you described. Now, you got LSU, who made incredible strides in that first year with Brian Kelly. Got a lot coming back from that team. They beat Bama last year. They got to go to Tuscaloosa. So I would, I would those three are going to be everybody's three. As we sit here right now, I'm going to wait to see where we are in August. But I would be in that Bama LSU just a little bit ahead of Georgia um, as we get ready for, you know, getting into the summer months. I want to make two quick points here. And then we're going to wrap this up. We're going to talk about recruiting for a minute. Here's point number one. Kirk Herbstreet right there almost sounds like he's auditioning to be the college football version of what Jim Cramer is on uh, Wall Street TV. You know the meme about Jim Cramer, whether it's true or not, that every stock that he picks tanks immediately after he picks it. Whether that's true or not, that's kind of the meme that exists for Cramer in kind of the uh, business uh, TV uh, world. Kirk Herbstreet's like, hey, go to Vegas and bet everything on Nick Saban because people are doubting him and they're saying that he's done. Go to Vegas and put everything down on that. Well, guess what, Kirk? This has been going on now for three years. People are saying that prior to the 2022 season, or they've actually been going on for two years. People are saying this prior to the 2022 season, that if you had done then what you're saying you should do now, people would have lost their home. They would be able to pay their mortgage if they bet the house on Nick Saban a year ago because Saban was fired up and ready for revenge. Guess what? Nick Saban's team didn't lift a finger towards winning a national championship a year ago. So if we bet big on the idea that people are doubting Nick Saban, they're saying he's done. Nick Saban's going to have a response. That sounds like what people were saying before the season last year. It proved to be laughably wrong. And the fact that you're trotting out the same argument again this year sort of feels laughably wrong. Alabama's obviously a preseason contender. Uh, they obviously have a chance to come back and do something this year. We're not going to count them out necessarily. But we have a lot of questions about the Alabama roster. We have a lot of questions about the talent that Nick Saban has brought into Tuscaloosa right now. And the revenge factor alone is not going to be enough because revenge plus Bryce Young and plus Will Anderson a year ago equal two regular season losses. And Street ought to know better than that. But here's the most important point. You can be one thing or the other. You can laugh at Georgia for saying nobody believes in us, 
or you can pick Georgia to be the third best team in the SEC. But you can't, over the course of two minutes worth of commentary, laugh about the idea that Georgia thinks nobody believes in us while also picking Georgia to be the third best team in the SEC because that's essentially what Kirk Herbstreit just did there. He put Georgia behind LSU, a team that it beat by what? 20 points last year or whatever, 30 points last year. Was it 50 to 20, whatever it was? Um, 50 to 30, not not, not a close game in the SEC championship, but somehow now LSU is better than Georgia. And Alabama, despite the fact that it just lost the best quarterback it's ever had, you know, two of the best players in college football, period. Now they're also better than Georgia as well. So Kirk Herbstreit laughs at Georgia because Georgia has used the nobody believes in us type motivational tactics while also now saying that Georgia is the third best team in the SEC. This is the kind of nonsense that Georgia has to put up with, that Georgia fans have to put up with. And I don't mind Georgia fans having a little bit of a little bit of an attitude about this, a little bit of an edge about them. Last year, we kind of saw that. And I think that this year, I think you are well within your rights to feel that way again. And then the Georgia team that kind of spurred on by Nolan Smith also had that little bit of an edge about them last year, too. You can use comments like this to help you. You can use stuff that Reese Davis said this offseason to help you or what anybody else, anybody said there too. Because for everything that Kirby Smart's been able to do with Georgia, including winning the last two national championships, the one thing that Georgia can't seem to do is to convince anybody to pick them in the preseason. Guess what? That's probably just the way Kirby likes it. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, good to be back with you after a great vacation, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start even earlier than that in the morning, 9.45 on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app for our first and 15, of course, on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, and we are available as a podcast. Wherever you uh, uh, look for those podcasts, Apple, Spotify, everything else, we're just glad to have you as a part of our program here today. Also, really, really excited about a great show coming up, and all of it made possible today by our friends at Pella Window and Door of George. I love what Pella does for our audience because, listen, we got folks who are homeowners and Homeowners want to take the best possible care of their house. They want it to feel good on the inside. They want it to look good on the outside. They want it to be, you know, uh, you know, great resale value when it's time to put it on the market when you're ready to make that move uh, somewhere else. And really high-quality doors and windows are, I think, a great way to do all of that, to kind of improve the curb appeal, but also kind of improve the just the feeling you get when you're inside the home, keeping the stuff that's supposed to be on the inside, on the inside, and the stuff that's supposed to be on the outside keeping where that's supposed to be there as well. That's what Pella Window and Door of George can do for you. You In survey after survey, year after year, homeowners here in our Atlanta area recognize Pella as the brand leader when it comes to entry doors and windows and things like that. And you can stop by their experience center there in Duluth and find out for yourself just how true this is and why it is true. You can do an in-home consultation. You can go by and see them at the uh, at the Experience Center there in Duluth. You can kind of put your hands on the product. You can feel it. You can really recognize why it's such a difference maker for great doors, great windows. You can take advantage of great savings there as well because, because between now and the end of the month, June 30th, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest for 12 months. That's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia wants to offer to you. So if you want to start your experience online, go to PellaFGA.com slash dog nation. That website, once again, PellaFGA.com 
com slash dog nation or if you want to give them a call do so 678-638-1429 that's 678-638-1429 have the conversation tell them from that ba from dog nation daily said they would take good care of you because i know they will because i understand why pella window and door of georgia is viewed to be the best all right good to have you here coming up in a couple of minutes it's john stinchcomb we'll talk to him about everything going on with uga i'll also give you an update on a great uh, contest we currently have going on at dognation.com right now that you get a chance to be a part of that is coming up today uh there as well we'll give you that more information on that coming up in a couple of minutes there too prior to that though, let's go around the doghouse and obviously one of the big things to happen around georgia the uh, last couple of days here massive series of official visits kind of a historic you know uh, headline grabbing series of official visits taking place at uga jeff centel's had plenty for you on this at dognation.com and i'll have a recap coming of the weekend there on the website today there too so i'm looking forward to reading that let me give you just kind of a couple small takeaways on this before we bring on john stinchcomb a couple of things i think that are kind of worth your headlines here i saw once again speaking of on three saw they had a nice quote from justin scott the big defensive lineman who took a visit here this weekend let me show you scott talking about his time there at georgia he says i like the dogs a lot they're up there tied with miami and notre dame in that number one spot following the visit so it sounds like scott who is obviously a priority recruit here for georgia it sounds like they made good inroads with him there during the official visit time that really matters but i think the topic that's probably the most interesting for georgia fans right now is with the presence of dylan riola riola taking his official visit and obviously a member now of this 2024 class for georgia what kind of impact is that going to have with uga for that elite five-star wide receiver for those big time pass catching targets because that is really one of the final frontiers for georgia as it relates to the kind of the recruiting efforts right now can georgia win with the elite caliber player at the wide receiver position the way that it has with virtually every other position you know across the board you know over, over the course of the last however many years since kirby smart really kind of got this thing running here at uga and obviously the presence of riola gives georgia a real chance to do that one of those guys this week that took his visit to Georgia was Ryan Wingo. I'm going to show you a photo here. Steve Wilfong from 24-7 Sports had some photos of, uh, of, of Ryan Wingo taking that official visit to Georgia. You see that there. And as we kind of continue to unpack kind of, you know, where Georgia stands with the guys who are here this weekend and what kind of went down with all of this, I think the most interesting questions to ask are, are going to be the ones related to George and Wingo here because – I think obviously the number one wish list that Georgia fans have now that Riola is in the fold is to have that big time five-star wide receiver join him. And the sense that I probably get here is, and this has probably kind of always been true, but maybe it's even more true here right now, is that Georgia's best chance to win with a receiver of this caliber is probably Wingo. I think it stands to, to, to reason. That an in-state guy like Mike Matthews has sort of always seemed destined to go somewhere else. Uh, there's been some interesting chatter as of late as it relates to Jeremiah Smith. Smith is always pretty active on social media. He has you know, obviously also been very willing to take visits. He took a official visit to Georgia. He was also at Florida this past weekend, but he's been on social media over the course of the last couple of days, seemingly reaffirming his pledge to Ohio State. I'll show you this on Twitter if you're watching a video there as well. He, he has the Buckeye nut, which is obviously kind of a throwback to uh, something that I was made fun of online for a few days because I thought a Buckeye was a flower, but I guess it's a nut. And then he kind of gives you the lock emoji there as well to let folks know that right now he's fully locked in on Ohio State. There are a lot of national media types who've kind of jumped in on that, basically saying this has been true for Jeremiah Smith the entire time. 
I would say this is one of those things that sort of is true until it isn't. I don't think that Georgia slows down in its recruitment of Smith at all. I don't. I think I would give Georgia some chance to win with Jeremiah Smith. But we've also said for a while that this would be a very tough pull, as tough a pull as has existed for Kirby Smart during his time of winning elite recruiting battles, one right after the other, to wrestle away from Ohio State, a receiver away from Ohio State. The caliber of Jeremiah Smith, just given how well Ohio State has performed with that position, how well Brian Hartline has done recruiting those type of players, this would be as hard as anything that George has done the Kirby era to get Jeremiah Smith away from Ohio State. I don't count it as an impossibility, but we've always described that as very, very difficult. So understanding that and seeing what Jeremiah Smith himself puts out there, then all the more reason why a visit like Wingo this past weekend is very, very important and why he probably becomes the receiver name to know that if you really want to win with that very big, very top-line prospect, the kind of guy that can sort of change the fortunes of that position. Listen, we think on paper this year, Georgia's probably better than it's been at wide receiver, but clearly Wingo is a little bit different class of recruit than what Georgia has currently had in its program here, that if you want to really win with that guy, then Wingo might be your best chance to do that. So listening ear to the ground for stuff that Jeff Sintel says about exactly how it went with George and Wingo, that's going to be really uh, important. But it was a hyped weekend. Seems like guys, the best we can tell, had a very good time. It seems like Georgia has made some strides with some big-time targets, and we'll see where it all goes from here. We'll make that around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. Now, before I bring on uh, our buddy uh, John Stinchcomb, have a fun conversation with him, I also want to give you a reminder about a very fun thing that Dog Nation has going on here this summer. It is the wonderful Celebrating American Heroes giveaway, courtesy of our friends at Traeger Grills and Kroger. You know, we're giving away an Ironwood XL grill from Traeger and a $500 gift card from Kroger to someone who tells a story about an American hero in your life. Now, when we say American heroes, obviously, we could be talking about like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. But, you know, it's really this time of year, we kind of think about those sort of average everyday American heroes, people who've served our country overseas in the armed forces or people who are serving their communities every day as a, as, as a person that's just sort of getting great work done, you know, whether it be your child's teacher or police officer, you know, a fireman that, you know, or, or, you know, somebody from your family that, that, you know, did something, you know, great telling that story at dognation.com right now becomes a great way to sort of celebrate that American hero in your own life. And when you go to dog nation to upload a photo or a short video, then that could make you the winner of our celebrate American heroes event here, courtesy of Traeger grills and Kroger, because listen, this is the time of year. We not only think about our country just coming off the Memorial day uh, holiday, but also looking ahead to our nation's birthday on July 4th. We're big into all that here right now, but we're also kind of enjoying the things of summer, which means being out and cooking on the Trigger Grill and enjoying some great food uh, from Kroger on that grill there as well. So all of this is a part of that. So the contest is ongoing right now. You've got between now and June 17th to get your nomination in. And someone who submits one of these nominations is going to be a winner. You're going to be able to walk away, not only having told a great story about someone in your life, but also being a terrific winner from our friends at Kroger and Traeger Grill. So go to dognation.com. You can find out more details about this. You can upload your photo. You can upload your short video. And maybe that nomination will make you a winner, courtesy of our friends at Traeger Grills and Kroger between now and June 17th. Make sure you get that in today. All right. Before we're done, big news from the SEC last week. They got the SEC kind of taking some heat and some criticism from some national voices. We'll talk about why that's 
pretty asinine uh, before the show is done today. But prior to that, haven't had a chance to talk to him now in a couple of weeks. Always love the chance to do so. So let's hear from the former UGA All-American right now. It's John Stinchcomb here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Hello, John. Great to be back with you. Uh, happy summer uh, there as well. Thanks for being back on our program again today, and I hope your summer has uh, gotten off to a great start. It's uh, fun to have you back on the program again. I'm glad to be talking about the dogs. Isn't it amazing that we're in the middle of uh, or in the beginning of June, and there's still so much to talk about. I mean, there's always seems to be uh, a, a storyline worth worthy of discussion and with the sec meetings this past weekend this week is no different you know i obviously want to get your thoughts and some of what came out of that uh, we'll do that in a moment but prior to that you know one of the things i like about having you on the show is is that you are generally speaking more level-headed than i am and i'm always grateful <laughs> to have that counterbalance to me from time to time the point that i made before you join us though is is that Listen, I don't begrudge anyone their opinion. You want to think something about college football? That's the fun of this. We get on here, we argue, we debate. I actually really enjoy that. The sport of arguing about college football is just kind of the thing we do during this time of year. I really like that. But what you don't get to do is what Kirk Herbstreet did, which is laugh about Georgia thinking nobody believed in them a year ago and then come back and say that Georgia's going to be the number three team in the SEC here this year. You don't get to have both of those opinions at the same time. And to me, I do think it's kind of odd that now going on three straight off seasons that have kind of wrapped around two national championship years for Georgia, you know, the idea of someone picking Georgia at the beginning of the season, the preseason, that's pretty scarce, despite the fact that Georgia has won the last two national championships on the field. It just seems weird to me how hard it seems to, from a Georgia standpoint to get any kind of preseason credit whatsoever do you see this the same way that i do i see it similar i see that there's a lot of folks that revise history and say uh that georgia was very much in the discussion well i i distinctly remember after the draft folks saying well you know i'm glad they had their year but that was it and you look at the number of uh freshmen that they're going to need to rely on and it's going to be an uphill battle for them. And it was pretty quick that Georgia was able to answer those naysayers. And you, you look at the uh, – as they go into this season and as much discussion surrounding uh, Georgia's schedule and the, the fact that you know their first real challenge is not going to come until Tennessee later in the year, but yet it's the same folks that are saying they're, they – could very easily finish third in the sec it's hard for me to reconcile those things absolutely yeah because i mean i think it's important to point out here despite you know and kind of a knockdown dragon against ohio state the fact of the matter is is georgia's march to the national championship last year was relatively easy mm-hmm. had a big non-conference mm-hmm. game against oregon and won it 49 to 3 it was never really challenged in the regular season at all other than a kind of a surprising game against missouri but nonetheless it still won that game you know marched through the sec championship against lsu uh won the national championship game 65 to 7 that you know there haven't been very many national championship seasons that were as easy as Georgia's proved to be a year ago, and yet that doesn't ever factor in the conversation. It's not just that Georgia won the title last year. It's the 
it, it's also the point that of its 15 games, 13 of them were basically laughers. Uh, that that mm-hmm. that you are not going to find that many examples of teams who've won national championships with more ease than Georgia won its title a year ago. Yeah, I, I don't think folks want to realize and recognize the stratification of college football, and that is there are haves and have-nots, and Georgia is a have. Ohio State falls into that category. There's teams that have the, the right ingredients to be able to compete for those national titles at the end of the year. And sadly, the, the parity that everyone wants does not exist right now That's in college right. football. So even going into this season, it, there is a similar course. There is a separation from the elite teams and the rest of the league. And... Yeah, you know, this time of year, folks want to say that everybody has a chance. Everybody does not have a chance. There is a number of teams that before they even you know, go into training camp, they don't have the, the Jimmys and Joes to compete with the, the elite. And that's just the, the state of college football right now. So uh, Georgia should be and once again will be um, in that discussion. And there's only a handful of teams that – had that legitimate um, capability, even though we haven't even played a single game. And also, how funny is it to you, as I said earlier, that you know a lot of Georgia fans had to endure for most of the 2021 season the idea they could not win a national championship, or their team, favorite team couldn't win a national championship because of Stetson Bennett. And now we're hearing mm-hmm. the Georgia can't win a national championship without Stetson Bennett. Without him. <laughs> it's just kind of funny how both sides of that coin end up being played in the direction of Georgia fans here. And if you're a UGA fan, you kind of laugh at that. I, I guess I sort of understand where that comes from. It's so funny. I mean, I, I was getting text in the middle of the first national championship game that he led us to victory in, and it was right before half, and folks were ready to pull him. So, you know, to, to think that uh, perspective is certainly 2020 in hindsight, but, you know, nobody uh, consistently was, was in his corner for the, the two year stretch that he was at the helm for Georgia. So, uh, to think that Georgia can't do it without him, I think, is is almost comical. But he certainly belongs in the, that discussion of you know the Mountain Rushmore of Georgia because back to back national titles and what he was able to do and, and lead Georgia to is uh, unprecedented, certainly at our university, uh, but something that should be commended and, and recognized. So there is a there is a both and when talking about. Stetson, that he was both, uh, you know, the, the dark horse and at times uh, was not embraced and at the end of the day was able to, to do something that no other quarterback of the University of Georgia has ever been able to do. You and I don't talk about recruiting typically very much, but Georgia is coming off a, a big-time recruiting weekend. Obviously, there's a lot of energy and excitement around the 2024 class for Georgia, in large part because of the fact that five-star quarterback Dylan Raiola is a part of it. And one of the big questions a lot of Georgia fans are asking is, okay, well, what about the big receiver, maybe a collection of big receivers that also come to Georgia because of Raiola? And one of those guys, Ryan Wingo, took a visit here this weekend. But, John, my question is, and I'm almost asking this because, you know, you're not necessarily a recruiting reporter, someone who lives in this world 365 days a year. How important do you think it is for Georgia to win with the elite wide receiver recruit? Because on the one hand, 
that's not really been something that Georgia has done as much under Kirby Smart. They recruit every position group at the highest level. Receiver's been a little bit different. But on the other hand, not recruiting that level of wide receiver hasn't seemingly hurt the program on the field. They've been as explosive as anybody has been offensively almost the last couple of years. And having a little bit of a lesser known certainly from a recruiting standpoint, caliber of wide receiver has not seemed to slow the program down very much. So from that standpoint, is it important for Georgia to kind of conquer this final frontier when it comes to receiver recruiting? Or is it one of those things where the types of receivers that Georgia seems to have gotten have worked pretty well for the kind of offense that Georgia seems to want to run? Yeah, I would say it's the latter rather than the former. It certainly isn't a necessity for Georgia to be able to bring in those elite recruits at that position. Now, with that said, um, it certainly doesn't hurt. It's always yeah. great to have uh, a, a roster full of players that can go out there and make plays. And I would argue this, that right now you look at Georgia's receiving core, and on paper it looks pretty deep. And there's a lot to be excited about there. And I don't think any of those guys came in as, as that elite wide receiver. But yet, as a position group, it's one of the strengths heading into the season that – you know, because of the transfer portal, because of the development, because of guys like Lad McConkey who came in with no stars, um, they've proven and, and, and look to be one of the cornerstones for this offense. And yet it, it's in spite of the fact that we have missed out on some of the elite receivers. So Georgia has proven that it's not a necessity. You don't need uh, to, to have the elite receiver when he gets here. But the development, I think, is yet another storyline that Georgia continues to beat the drum on, that when you come to the University of Georgia, uh, you have an opportunity to become a much better player. And no matter whether that's a two-star or a five-star, uh, if you're willing to work and buy in and be a part of the culture, that Georgia's a great opportunity for you. And it's not like... Georgia's bringing in scrubs, and right. uh, we, 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 the discussion is elite wide receivers, but the, the guys that have come to campus all are, are highly skilled, and I think uh, almost any team in the country would be thrilled to have them on their roster. What do you think about the evolution of the receiver position overall? I think old school thinking would have led you to say that, hey, the farther you line up away from the football, the less important the position is, you know lines of scrimmage, quarterback, in the old days running back, those positions closer to the ball were more important positions. But in the last however many years, you know, you see, you know, wide receivers draft in the first round, large numbers every year. They're also the guys that get the free agent contracts. NFL teams pay for wide receiver talent. We've seen wide receivers be difference makers in college football. Devontae Smith won a Heisman Trophy. Obviously, Jamar Chase helped, certainly along with Joe Burrow, you know, obviously propel LSU in 2019. That it seems like the receiver position has become much more important and much more of a premium position than it ever used to be. What do you think about that overall evolution for this particular position? Yeah, it's, it's fun to watch, and I think that's because the game has become much more fun to watch. You, you've spread the field. It used to be uh, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust plus some, and now uh, even Tennessee, uh, you look at their offense last year and how they started to challenge some of the conventional uh, alignments and, and just distances from the sideline and relation to the uh, end of the line of scrimmage and – 
what you're seeing is your offense is trying to stress the defense. They're trying to put them in compromised positions so that their playmakers, these athletes on the edges, have better opportunities. And uh, as the position group and the skills continue to develop, it's it's an it's fun. It's as a fan, it's fun to watch uh, how many different ways guys can can get the ball and see. Uh, their skill sets utilized, and uh, I think it, it. You know, I, getting back to your question of, of wide receivers, and um, the game has changed, and the ability for elite wide receivers to get out there and impact a game is is much more. The opportunity for them to influence the end score is m- much better, more prevalent now because of the way the game is played. Last topic I want to hit with you, and you kind of mentioned this a moment ago, what happens at the SEC spring meetings in Destin last week. And let me kind of bring the facts in as I understand them, and then I want your opinion on this. Last year, a lot of folks thought at the same spring meeting event, the SEC might announce that it was going to expand to a nine-game conference schedule, more, playing more you know, in-league games with the football season. They didn't have the votes to do that, so they didn't make that announcement a year ago. And over the course of the last year, more teams have seemingly kind of turned away from the idea of playing the nine game conference late to the point where over the course of the last couple of weeks there had been a lot of insinuation that the eight game model might have more support than the nine game model ultimately at least for one year anyway that's what the league decided to do staying with an eight game conference late in 2024 despite the fact they're adding two more teams into the league this is kind of a one-off type deal to give more time for a more permanent scheduling model to come in place after that, which may still be nine games eventually, but at least for now it's going to stay at eight. John, as somebody who's, you know, kind of a part of this, we know that Georgia, you know, favors the nine game slate. It seems like Commissioner Greg Sankey favors the nine game slate. You're obviously a part of the, uh, you know, kind of, you know, discussions there in Athens quite a bit. What do you think about the direction the SEC is going for the short term and maybe what it should be doing for the long term as well? Yeah, I think it gives you some flexibility. I think the decision was, let's buy time. And when you make that kind of commitment for 2024, it gives you some wiggle room uh, long-term. And I'm still of the mind that there's other cards left to be played on the table. And as we look at you know, just college football and the overall landscape and how much it has changed and will continue to change you know, even earlier today, we're talking about the stratification and the, the yeah. separation among teams. Um, I, I think very realistically, uh, there is going to be more change to come, uh, specifically with college football outside of just overall collegiate athletics, um, because of the, the, the separation of talent and, uh, we saw a, jam- a jump in a separation when the Power Five conferences were kind of identified. I think we're going to see even more in the next coming years with, uh, you know, there's SEC elites and there's some other teams. I think there's obviously another conference that wants to be a part of that discussion. Um, and then there's going to be those that are left out and, and trying to figure out how to recognize that, utilize it, it's going to be a far cry from what we've known um, in in all the previous years that this game has been played. You, know, you, you see the 
devaluation of bowl games and the, the emphasis or the opportunity that college football playoffs has uh, had an impact on what college football looks like and now the expansion of that model. And now I think you're probably going to see a, a, a difference um, from what we've known and in, in how conferences are aligned and in their interactions among one another. And I know that's a, a broader statement on a very specific question of eight or nine in-conference games, but I think because of this decision, it's an indicator that we want flexibility long-term just to kind of see how uh, this landscape continues to shift and be in a position where we can flex and adjust as needed. Yeah, quick follow-up on that. In my opinion, this is kind of simple, which is you kind of alluded to the Big Ten a moment ago, and you can kind of compare the SEC and the Big Ten, the two kind of big leagues that currently exist in the sport. You can say the SEC has better players. It does. You can say the SEC typically has the better teams. At the top, it typically does. But what the Big Ten has is larger alumni bases, and for now, (laughs) a much more lucrative media rights deal than the SEC currently has. And so from that standpoint, while I think it would be a long-term travesty if the SEC doesn't play a nine-game conference slate, I think this league would be dumb to give away for free. In other words, ESPN's not currently obligated to pay more money for the additional conference games, but until ESPN shows some willingness to want to pony up additional dollars, I think the, I think the SEC would be foolish to give away inventory for free, which is what they'd be doing if they agreed to a nine-game conference slate without some sort of additional compensation on the part of ESPN. Yeah, my money's always the driver, right? I mean, any discussion you have, <laughs> at the end of the day, it comes back to, to money. And nobody's giving anything away for free. An extra SEC game? Are you kidding me? That's that's just not going to happen. And I think that comes with the flexibility of we'll stick with an eight-game slate uh, for one more year, and it gives you another chance to go back at a, at a pretty juicy apple uh, when you're negotiating some of these TV contracts. John, it's always great to talk to you. I appreciate your uh, thoughts here on the program today. We'll look forward to doing this again very soon, and we hope you continue to enjoy a great summer there as well. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door, Georgia. Always enjoy it, B.A. Go dog. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, a lot more to say on that topic here coming up in a moment as a part of Cruise Around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Prior to that, though, let's mention our friends at Royal Caribbean and mention something that I know many of you are looking forward to, your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation here this summer. Really no better time to do that. Be on the Caribbean, enjoying all the great things that are going on there on one of those great Royal Caribbean cruise ships, whether it's the three or the four night stay where you're going to the Bahamas maybe and you're going to perfect day Coco Cay almost certainly and you kind of enjoy either the weekend or the short you know kind of less than a week type getaway you can kind of be in and out and back to your life many of you say nah BA I want the full experience one of those uh, seven night oasis class ships listen there's all kinds of great itineraries to choose from it is just a great time to be on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. We also believe that a great travel agent makes that experience even better for you. So we invite you to give Jessica Slater a call, 770-718-9147, 770-718-9147. Uh, she can help you get a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation ready to go this summer. Many of you know I've got a weekend cruise coming up here in a little bit. Looking forward to taking my mom on that. One of those great experiences where can I get the whole family together. My mom, my brother and his family, me, my wife, our kids, all on board together at the same time, having a wonderful time together. We're really, really excited about that. And 
I think it's fun to have things to be excited about. So get excited about your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Contact Jessica Slater today. She can get you set up with all of that. All right, so let's dive into this. Last week, the SEC spring meetings, Mike Griffith was there. He had great coverage. You can go to the Dog Nation YouTube page. Uh, I was looking at some of this over the course of the weekend. Interview with Kirby Smart, interview with Nick Saban, press conference with Shane Beamer, Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin, Sam Pittman, a lot of the big-name SEC coaches. Mike had a chance to be kind of involved in those sort of press conference availability with those guys. You can see some of that. And the big news that came out, as we were kind of talking about a moment ago, the fact that for 2024, the SEC is going to stay at an eight-game conference schedule. Um, it's not going to be divisional play. Uh, and it's not going to be one permanent opponent because over the course of the long term, you know, if you stayed a game forever, you'd only be able to play one permanent opponent because you want to kind of rotate and cycle through. So you're playing everybody in the league every two years and visiting every stadium every four years. So you'd only be able to have the one permanent opponent. For now, they're going to favor traditional rivals. Georgia's still going to play Auburn. They're going to still do some things like that. Uh, the assumption, I think, is the Tex will also play Tex A&M next year. So you have some of that in place with the eight-game conference slate. They're going to kind of give a nod towards traditional rivals, and they're also going to buy themselves another year to make a more long-term decision. Now, let me be very clear at face value. If a year from now the SEC has not made a decision to expand to a nine-game conference slate, I think a lot will have been lost from that. I really do. I, I used the word travesty a moment ago. I think it's just a bad trade-off. In other words, if you trade what has made the SEC great, things like Georgia Auburn the third Saturday in October, and you know, uh, you know, wh whatever other sort of secondary rival you want to consider here, that if you were to swap that for something that's new, bringing in Texas and Oklahoma, ultimately, I'm not quite so sure that trade-off benefits fans. It may make the league some more money, but the average fan doesn't see any of that money so what's the use to him that the league is more lucrative because of adding tax in oklahoma the league will essentially have gotten worse if you are subtracting some of these you know traditional historic rivalries just so you can bring in tax in oklahoma to the league because i gotta tell you we were doing shows back when Texas Oklahoma came to the league there weren't a lot of you know rank and file average SEC fans including Georgia fans who were all that excited about it so you know you'd be making the league lesser just so you can add Texas and Oklahoma into the league the long-term trade-off here I think would be a net negative if you don't go to the nine game conference lay so I think what the SEC is probably doing here is is they're trying to lay the groundwork to let ESPN know that if you want the better inventory, if you want the additional games, you're going to have to pay for it. And I don't fault the SEC for doing that, not whatsoever. In fact, I think they'd be foolish not to. Here are the facts as we understand them. There is very little pretense right now that college athletics is in any way anything other than a business. It is obviously a business. The players are more business-minded than they've ever been before, thanks to NIL. The programs are more business-minded than they've ever been before, thanks to the kind of the cutthroat nature of conference expansion and uh, teams moving about and, and all of that, that no one's playing any kind of games anymore. Everyone's being very, very honest and forthright. This is a business, and everybody's going to do what is in their own best business interest. As recently as a couple of years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. You know, for instance, when Georgia, and a lot of this was led by Kirby Smart directly, this wasn't led by the athletic director, this was led by Kirby Smart directly, when Georgia was adding more of these non-conference games that were supposed to play at Oklahoma this year, for instance, you know, going in home and home with Texas prior to coming to the SEC, or Ohio State, uh, which is scheduled for a few years out, Florida State, 
most of that, I believe, was not really made with business intentions in mind. Most of that was made from the standpoint of it would be good competitively to play better games. Our fans would like it. Uh, the recruits that come to a program like this want to play in big games, Smart has said. I don't think there was a very bottom line, strictly business approach to Georgia adding a lot of the non-conference series that it has added in future years, that, that business was not the number one consideration. But no one in college football moving forward will ever make a decision that's not primarily business-focused anymore. They just won't do it. And so when the SEC is in a fight for its life alongside the Big Ten right now, these are rivals that are fighting. We've said before that, hey, Florida, Auburn, those traditional rivals, those are now your opposition. Those, you know, They may be your competition, but your actual rival is the Big Ten because the scarce resources, the sort of money to make all this you know, work, the Big Ten wants to take food off your table. That's your rival. So therefore, you got to play at full speed against them all the time, which means holding ESPN over the fire for every penny you can get from them. And until ESPN wants to pony up and pay you for the additional conference game, you'd be a fool to give it away to them for free. And I've told you before as well that when I look at you know the Big Ten, who's aligned itself with Fox and CBS and NBC, what I see are potentially better media partners than what the SEC has in place with ABC and ESPN. You know, ABC, ESPN, owned by Disney. Disney's primarily a streaming-based company right now, and their streaming business is not going very well. You know, for all the things you hear about Disney in the news, the biggest problem that Disney has is, is they have not figured out a way to do streaming in a way that's profitable. They went all in on that as a very big business bet, and that bet has, for the most part, failed. It's failed at the ESPN level. Uh, it certainly failed at the Disney overall level, to say nothing of the fact that the ESPN business model has now been hurt incredibly bad by a lot of the other changes and some of those changes that ESPN has sort of voluntarily made that it's not obvious that the SEC has a great media partner in ESPN compared to what the Big Ten has with the three more traditional networks, Fox, CBS, and NBC, that it's in business with moving forward. And that's going to be a challenge the SEC has to face. And getting ESPN to give it more money for the additional conference revenue is one of those things that Greg Sankey's going to probably have to get into a boardroom, roll, roll up his sleeves, and do some hard-nosed negotiations to make that happen. But until ESPN does that, then I don't think the SEC, not only is it not obligated to make any kind of move, I think it'd be foolish to make any kind of move unless ESPN is willing to pay for it. I believe the ball is in ESPN's court here. Do the right thing uh, by the SEC, who has the potential of playing, to use bad grammar, more better games uh, that, that, that ESPN and its family of networks would benefit from. And then, of course, the last point on all this is, you know, people look at some of the national media types who wrote their columns last week, and they're just banging away on those typewriters, you know, just, ah, I'm going to tell you how I feel. And, you know, the uh, I guess the overwhelming kind of consensus, because all these columns are always exactly the same, the overwhelming consensus here is, ah, oh, the SEC, big bad SEC, proved themselves to be afraid to go out and play better games. They had a chance to really flex, and they chose not to. Y'all, I've told you before, this kind of PR stuff doesn't matter at all. It just doesn't. It, it, it just doesn't. Um, and I thought that John Stinchcomb said something really, really important a moment ago is that there is a topic right now in college athletics that people don't want to talk about. The issue here is not the SEC being inferior because it's playing fewer conference games than some of the other Power Five conferences that are out there. The issue is how far superior the brand of football the SEC plays is in comparison to anybody else. That's just a fact. Like, when you see even like ESPN talking heads like Kirk Herbstreit and Reese Davis kind of hyping up the Big Ten, there's obviously 
whether they understand that or not, there is a financial incentive for talking big about the Big Ten because the Big Ten is big business. Michigan football is very big business. That's the reason why you know the TV partners are willing to pay the 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 Big Ten league so much money to televise its games because there are a lot of Big Ten fans. They just are. They they have very big alumni bases, bigger than you realize in some cases. In, in some cases, they're more populous states than you kind of realize, especially in comparison to the SEC footprint overall. Talking about Big Ten football can be big business. So every year we sort of pretend this Big Ten league plays at the same level the SEC does. And every single year when you look at week one, non-conference matchups, last year Georgia beat Oregon 49-3. to Oregon was one of the best teams in the Pac-12. Last year Utah came to Florida. Florida was average as grits. Florida beat Utah to begin last season. You can cite example after example of this year after year, whether it be in the national semifinal games of the college ball playoff, or the beginning of the season during these non-conference games, when you know sort of the leagues are kind of putting their best foot on, you know, for putting the best of themselves on display, the SEC just has a massive chasm of difference between itself and the other leagues, who are essentially nothing but pretenders to what it's able to do. But people don't want to admit that because once a lot of these larger fan bases realize just how large the gap is between them and the true best in college football. Maybe there might not be quite so many of those fans moving forward. So there's always going to be an incentive to talk up other leagues in comparison to the SEC because it is not good for business, whether you be actually in the business of televising games or just in the business of talking about these games, how large the gap is between the SEC and everybody else. And so that's kind of where the perception a lot of this, I believe, kind of comes in from on this. But ultimately, what so-and-so in his column said about Georgia, or should say about the SEC not expanding to nine games, none of that matters at all. The SEC has its own timeline to operate on here, putting the ball in ESPN's court. Pay up, we'll give you the better games, and by 2025, we can be playing a nine-game conference slate, as the league probably should be doing anyway. But until that happens, the SEC is not motivated to move any faster than it's currently moving right now. So even though it was kind of, you know, I guess drawing some criticism from other places uh, here this past week, ultimately, I think the SEC made the right decision, at least for now. So fun to be back doing the show again here with you. Glad to be uh, back from vacation. We got plenty to talk about here this week. Kirby Smart says many very interesting things last week when he was at SEC spring meetings uh, last week. So we'll break down a lot of that here and continue to follow the uh, twists and turns on the way to the upcoming season. So looking forward to all of that. Uh, Golden shoe here there as well. One of the things that always fills me with great pride. Those of you that support our sponsors, you just make it possible for us to do the show each and every day, which we really love. Our buddy Wisco Dog, checking in from Wisconsin, says, I finally found it here in Wisconsin, some Finnish long drink. He's got the eight-can variety pack, enjoying himself some delicious Finnish long drink. We told you before, we love the Finnish long drink during the summer. So even up there in Wisconsin, having a good time enjoying all that, Wisco Dog will give you a golden shoe for today. And speaking of the lousy, stinking gators, we mentioned them a moment ago. How about our Gator Hater countdown? 145 days from right now, Georgia beats up on Florida again. No matter how many SEC games the league plays in the future, Georgia's probably going to always be beating Florida. Uh, and every year moving forward, we think anyway. And that's our Gator Hater countdown. Y'all have a great day. Thanks for being back with us here today for Doc Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.